The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 23. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's a real joy to be with all of you this morning. Um, I, love this, uh, I love this church. Um, I love the people here. I love what you guys do. I love the way you're inspired towards mission and the gospel of Jesus. And this morning, I'm actually here to share with you about seeking justice and reconciliation as a mark and a, as a call, I will say, to the church. So the world, the world in, in a lot of ways can seem really overwhelming. So if you just pull a couple of like uh, headlines from the news, we can look at like globally, we have the war in Ukraine and Israel currently where thousands have died. As a nation nationally, we're uh, approaching an election year, which is very decisive, where a lot of things are being said back and forth um, that you can see just a ton of division. And locally, right here, in the city of Philadelphia, we have our opioid epidemic, gun violence, and an education system that is just not fair or just. So all of these are examples of how our world is just a place that is out of sorts, fractured, broken, uh, disoriented. But the good news this morning is that I really think and believe wholeheartedly that the Christian story gives us a very tangible and tactile way to engage in actual hope and restoration of this brokenness. I believe the Christian story actually calls us to it, to a solution. And this is crazy because the one day I was walking through Center City a couple blocks from here and a guy comes running down going, yo Vito, yo, yo. And I'm like, who the heck? And I'm like starting to like back up. You never know. I mean, people come at you for all different reasons. I don't know about your guys' past, but mine isn't always great. 
And, uh, and this guy, and he comes to me and he grabbed me and he's like, yo, he goes, do you remember? And I have, I have like no clue who this guy is. And he's like, do you remember? And I'm like, what? He goes, three years ago, I was at the church. And he goes, you said, go talk to that person over there at the table. He goes, man, I've had an apartment for over two years because of that conversation. And I was like, what? I didn't remember the guy at all. All I did was say, hey, go over there. Like, I didn't do anything, really, in the scheme of things. But what happens when God's people actually take seriously the call of the gospel to open up a church building on the second floor like you guys do every Saturday and welcome in strangers or anyone from the community to sit down, have a hot meal, served with dignity, where people are treated as if they actually are human beings. Even if they don't look that way from the outside, we know in the inside that they're created in the very image of God and they deserve the dignity and the respect and the compassion and the love that God has for them. Even if that's not their current situation or the way they think about themselves. Well, because this church is generous and opens up the building and allows an organization like Small Things to run a program where we have social workers on site, a hot meal, volunteers, a food pantry to shop at, a social service organization like Bethesda Project that places people in housing, you guys actually are part of the solution of the brokenness in the unhoused in Philadelphia. And it's that simple. And I didn't even know I helped the guy but it's because we had faith and we opened the doors. So with that, I think it's time for us, one, to invite you in to serve on the fourth Saturday of every month, smallthingsphilly.org, click volunteer, come and help out and invite someone into housing. Great plug, needed to do that. But also more importantly, the scripture this morning is very clear. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down? So what does God actually require of his people. What is he requiring? What is he calling us to? And it's so interesting. So first off, the prophet Micah, and I'm going to give a very basic definition of a prophet. So a prophet is one that speaks on behalf of God and calls people back to what God thinks is important. He's calling their hearts back to the mission that God has called the Israelites to in this text. He's calling them back. He's correcting them. He's guiding them to who God is and what God's heart is for the world. So Micah was speaking this. And what he says in verse 6 to 7, With what then shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body of my soul? These offerings, these gifts of God, like listen, we're listening rams, rivers. It's like, what the, is all these things? If we put it in modern terms, literally the things that people would be giving up is parts of their livelihood. They'd be giving up their animals that produce things and the, the oil that they actually use to bake with and heal as an ointment. They're giving up their real practical things that they need, the, the, the means to feed their family. So he's like, do you want us to give those things up? If we look at today's world, it could be like, hey, give up a year's salary. 
Why is let someone have your car for an extended period of time because you don't really need it anymore? Like these are real sacrifices. These are things that people would use day in and day out. They aren't just like random things. So what does God require of us if he's not requiring those particular things? He has told us what is good. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. God doesn't just want your stuff. God will use your stuff, but God wants your heart. Because if God gets your heart, all that stuff isn't yours anyway. God wants your heart. And this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So to do justice, this is the fun one. So doing justice is actually an action. But I talked about when I opened up all the plights in the world, the fracturedness, the brokenness, the things that are out of sorts. In order to do justice, sin has to be dealt with. Sin, a word that's hard to swallow. But listen to this. We are broken, and the systems are broken. Personally and systemically, there's a fracturing in the world. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Sin causes us to fight for our own survival Above all else, we become the most important thing in our orbit, in our universe, and in our world. We turn inward in self-protection, even at the cost, at times, of taking advantage of other people. Sometimes sin causes us to take advantage of other people in order to benefit ourselves. It's a fact. It's a reality. The systems that we exist in are also broken. Systemically, the world is fractured. Privilege is a real thing. Where you grow up, the color of your skin, your gender, and your family of origin can affect the ways that you have access to things in the world. The system sometimes gives certain groups of people advantages over others. And I'm not here to go through all that. We can read all those things. The reality is that the system is broken. Sin is so selfish, and it's the opposite of justice. We must personally deal with our own sin first. As sin contributes even though it might be hard to acknowledge to the broken systems around. Our personal sin can actually affect the broken systems around us because we just live into them. Wow. So what does the gospel say about that? The good news is that 
God doesn't call us to something that he's not willing to do himself. God says that he calls us to do justice because God displayed the ultimate act in justice when he came down to earth and as Chris was opening up, he took upon the burdens of our relationships, our sin, the injustice, the fractured, the selfishness, all the muck, all the mud, all the mire, all the disgustingness that we see in the world. He took it on himself on the cross and bore it on his body. In 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the rightness of God or made right with God. Jesus paid the ultimate price and is true living justice among us because he liberates us and he liberates the world from destruction because we no longer have to live for ourselves because Jesus gave himself for us. So as Chris mentioned earlier, I am in, I'm in recovery, coming up on 20 years clean from addiction. And in the recovery community, we have a first step. And the first step says we must admit that we are powerless over our addiction and that our life has become unmanageable. Because a lot of times the correlation is that we try to control our addiction and our life gets destroyed. It's the same way with sin. We must first admit that we actually have a problem, acknowledge that sin is a real thing and we do things that aren't right and then we can invite the good news of Jesus in. And when we invite the good news of Jesus in to liberate us from the sin and destruction and death that we see in ourselves, we are able now to live for others and to do justice because Jesus did justice for us us. So one author says, what does it mean to do justice? So I framed it. We're, we're free to like now go out into the world. To do justice means to work for the establishment and equity for all, especially for the powerless. God calls us to help the people that are on the margin, the disenfranchised, the, the, the loners, the people that are, that are on the outskirts. He calls us to expend our resources, our time. I told you he doesn't want the stuff, but when he gets you, he's going to get your stuff. And he's going to use it for the good of the world because we're called into a program, a project, the mission of God, both personally and collectively as a community, individually, communally, God is calling us to do justice. A couple of examples of justice in action, I'm gonna give three. Fighting for the rights of people that don't have a voice. This is advocacy. And basic advocacy is that we are going to like our local politicians, our legislators, we're going uh, and we're, we're advocating for rights. We're advocating for uh, affordable housing. We're advocating for a just education system. We're advocating for all, all different kinds of rights for people that come here that aren't from here. We're looking for ways to make the system just so that we can have act, people can have access to the rights. Medical care. It also is a really tangible thing, very tangible. It's opening up a church building, giving a hot meal, and transforming someone's life that I didn't even know I had any part in at all whatsoever because God was already restoring it before I was there, but he used it to help somebody. 
So providing real needs, the orphans, the widows, the, the unhoused, the hungry, the clothe the naked, all these things give people real tangible resources, help them real practically. Hey, I need to get somewhere. Hey, here's a bus pass, you can get there now. Real simple ways, those practical, tangible ways to help somebody extend yourself. And this is another one, the distribution of power. This is a hard one. All of us hold personal power and influence and some hold more power and influence than others based upon their position in the world. What happens if we're helping people and we actually allow them to be bought into the process and we allow them to have a choice? We allow them to have a voice. We allow them to help come up with some of the solutions for themselves. We distribute the power and we allow the powerless to actually have voice and power. That's justice. Jesus gave up all of his power and influence for us. And he is the God of the universe, the creator of the world. We don't only have to do justice, but we also have to love mercy. Mercy, and in this text, it's actually the word hesed. And the word hesed could mean loving kindness, a loyal love, steadfast love. But the word is so powerful in the Hebrew. I actually think this is actually calling us to the position of our heart. God doesn't want us just to do things because you could do a lot of good. But he wants us, our heart to be changed. He wants us to love hesed, love mercy. In Exodus chapter 34, uh, verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord of lords, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. Those words for love and faithfulness, abounding in hesed, maintaining hesed to thousands. It's a position of the heart that God had to us, this commitment, this loyalty to the covenant, to the extent that he sent his son to die for us. So this is where uh, it, it gets a little practical for me. I had a guy one time in my life, he said to me, You're running, when I was first getting clean, I was, I was running around trying to like find approval in people that I thought were important. And he said, Vito, he says, you need to not believe in somebody You need to find someone that believes in you and wants to help you. And this idea of this hesed love, this commitment, this type of loyal love, is that like sometimes we're going to come across people in our lives that we're helping or that we're committed to. And a lot of times it could be a family member or, or a lot of people that are really close to us. And it can seem that like doing justice, doing the right thing is really, really, really hard. And you want to give up and you're out of sorts. But God is calling us to love mercy. He's calling us to this hesed love, this committed love, this loyal love, this transformational love that he had for us because he could have just given up on us and he didn't give up on us. So when he says love hesed, it's a committed love. We need to stay committed to the cause because doing justice is not easy. I can tell you how many funerals I've been to. I can tell you how much time I spent with people and then they went and ruined their life anyway. I could tell you so many times that we exalt resources. It doesn't get, so if we are on the program that like, we're like, hey, this is a business model. What we put in, we should get out. It doesn't always work that way. 
with the gospel. Sometimes we extend ourselves beyond ourselves, and that's because God is calling us to love Hesed and love mercy because God is ultimately the one restoring the world, not us. Love Hesed, committed, loyal, love, sacrificial commitment. Do justice, love mercy. Now it's time to walk humbly. So in Judaism, the word for ethics is actually hakalal, which means walking. The idea is that the task of ethics is to describe how one ought to walk one's day-to-day life. So in order to be like walking out our life, it's like in your day-to-day walk, like how are you living out the good news of Jesus? How are you living out the gossip? How are you doing justice? How are you loving mercy? And my wife actually helped me with this example. So when she first began her master's program to become an orientation and mobility therapist, uh, that's someone that teaches someone that is visually impaired how to use a cane, how to cross a street, how to get on the SEPTA bus. She had a practice by blind, being blindfolded, but she also had a practice on helping people. So she blindfolded me. And uh, she's like, okay, I'm gonna teach you how to navigate, how to walk and use the cane. And I was out of sorts, I couldn't see, I'm used to seeing, I'm walking crooked, I'm banging into stuff. It was really hard to like not have my sight. And it was, and it was like, and, and, I'm, and she's like, first off, she's like, yeah, you're not a good student. Well, of course, because I, I don't like to listen. But even more so than that, the point that I think that we're making here is that some people in life have more difficulty navigating life than others, and we can't actually understand what it's like until we walk in their shoes. I didn't know what it was like to have a visual impairment until I put a blindfold on, and it's hard. So this humility that we talk about in walking, it's about understanding people's circumstances and situations entering into their life from that perspective. So that's the one side of it. The second side of walking humbly is this. We can't do it without God. We have to walk differently. We have to be dependent. We have to be faithful because God doesn't just call us to walk but he calls us into mission. When Jesus called the disciples and the gospels, do you know what he said to them? Come, follow me. He didn't say, hey, go read the encyclopedia on Christian ethics and figure out what it means. He said, no, come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And they left their nets. They left their lives. They let go of the things they had that were stopping them from following Jesus and they followed him. They walked with him. And guess where they were walking? They were walking with him to watch him die on a cross for the sins of the world so that restoration and healing could come. And God calls us into that mission to walk with him as he's on a mission to give up his life for the sake of the world. God calls the Christian church into that mission. So right here, Resurrection Philadelphia, you guys say that you're sharing resurrection hope in Philadelphia, which I love. I think that's an awesome thing because resurrection hope means that where there once was death, there can be life. Where once there wasn't hope, there can be hope. So I told you I've seen a lot of sad stories. I've also seen so many people 
have their lives changed? So many. Jesus and in, in, uh, in Paul in the book of Colossians says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. God in Jesus, guess what he calls you guys to? So guess what God's restoration plan for the world is? It's the church, every one of you. God's plan is you. God's plan is people hear the story of Jesus that transforms their lives and liberates them for sin and it sends them into the world to do for others, to care for the needs of the world. What's the solution? To end homelessness, fix the educational system. It's God's people. He calls us into tangible and tactile ways to help real people. He wants us to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with him as we walk towards a restored world in the new heavens and new earth when God returns in Christ. We're walking towards a restoration of the world and he's using all of you. And I'll invite you into a couple of things. So first, I want to say this. You guys have a campus in West Philly and you have a campus here in Center City. Both of these are strategically placed buildings in cultural hubs in a major city in Philadelphia that have tons of people with influence right around you or that come to the actual church. You have, you have things that other communities don't have. You also are right around one of the, uh, the largest, uh, <laughs> the poorest major city in the United States. And you have two unique locations that could be these hubs of justice and mercy and compassion where you can reach your neighbors in a way. You can reach the college students and the young families and the homeless and the immigrants and the refugees. And there's so many ways that you guys can really work to bring about the restoration of the world. I see this church and I see opportunity for God's plan of action to fix the world. There's capable people in these pews this morning that can do real good to help real people. And I believe in that and I pray for that because God calls us individually and communally into his mission to bring about spiritual, social, and cultural transformation and renewal of the world. He's gonna use you in a way that's powerful. So I'd be missing if I'm not giving you practical things to do. So sign up to serve in the church. Talk to your deacons. If there's something on your heart that's been burdening you for a while where you're like, why is something not happening with this? Start to pray. Go to your deacons. Say, guys, let's do something. Let's get around this. Let's put some energy into it. Let's do something. Obviously, you can serve at small things. You can talk to me. We got a million things going on. I'd love to plug you in in a million ways um, from serving on our grant team to serving in Emmanuel to help us build our plan to do 10 uh, resource center hubs across the city in the next 10 years. There's a million things we're doing. Also, 
Just serve in the church if that's a first step. Like of all these service things and working with homeless, it's too overwhelming. Man, volunteer at children's ministry, sign up to be a greeter, be an usher, be on the setup team. Do something to begin to engage something of service as you're thinking about switching your focus to others. Because God calls us on that mission. So guys, I think that's it. I'm going to call you to this Resurrection Church. I want and my prayer and my hope and my dream is for you to continue to be a church that does justice, that loves mercy, and that walks humbly with our God as we work towards the restoration of all things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for this church. This church is a beautiful reflection of your beauty and your glory, all the gifts and skills that are here. God, I pray that it can be used for your good in the world. God, I pray for this church. I pray for the pastors. I pray for the deacons. I pray for the elders. Continue to lead. Continue to show people the gospel and the good news as it changes them to serve others, God. We ask you to be with us today in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.